Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor George Towers. Yo, what's going on, everybody? How are y'all doing today? Good to see y'all this morning. Y'all look good in here. You look good I, online. I can't see you, but in faith, I trust that you look good as well. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are here. We're kicking off uh, a brand new series today that is called How to Talk About Jesus with Humans. And in this series, we're going to talk about how to talk about Jesus with Oh, y'all left me hanging. Okay, thank you. I know it's a a very abstract title. You might not know what it means, but hey, we're just laying it out there in the title. That's where we're going. Uh, We're going to talk about how we can better share our faith with the people in our lives that do not know Jesus, how we can invite people that do not know him in to a life-changing relationship uh, with Jesus. That's where we are going to go, uh, and I'm excited about that. And the, the, the church word uh, for this idea is evangelism. And uh, in our series that we just finished last week, Pastor Rob talked a lot about this idea uh, that we as Jesus followers have been invited to the table, to the banquet table. We are in the family of God, not by our works or our merits or our do-goodism, but simply by grace through faith and what Jesus has done on the cross. That's why we have a seat at the table. Uh, but we're not just guests at the table. We are now co-hosts, and we have been called and commissioned to invite other people uh, to the table and into a relationship with Jesus. And that whole idea is called evangelism. And I understand that that sort of has a loaded uh, past, may have some baggage. Maybe you've seen it done very well. Maybe you've seen it done poorly. Uh, but our goal in this series is to just take a few weeks and sort of reframe uh, evangelism and maybe do it more of the Jesus way that lines up with more of who God is through Jesus uh, in a way that might be more effective uh, as well. So that's where we're going to go. I'm super excited about it. I would challenge you, if you can, uh, to make it a priority to be here for the next few weeks as we go through this series. Uh, or if you're online, just watch all those weeks because each sermon, each idea is going to build on the other and excited for where we're going to go. So uh, quick question. Do you have an expectation to hear from God today? If you do, can we put our hands together? If you're expecting God to speak to you, I don't have much to offer, but God, through his word, man, we are all going to hear from him today and be encouraged. So uh, we're going to kick this series off. Part one of how to talk about Jesus with humans. The title of this message is The Evangelism Coin. The Evangelism Coin. That'll make more sense in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? Amen. Amen. Quick game of word association. When I say the word evangelism, uh, like what image or activity pulls up in your brain? Like, what do you see? Maybe um, when you hear that word evangelism, you think of just the action of inviting someone to church, like a coworker, a friend, a family member, like, hey, our church is doing this thing, come to church. Like, that's a really good thing. Um, Maybe when you hear evangelism, you think of going downtown and handing out Christian tracts. Do y'all remember tracts? This is for my, like, my my church vets. Y'all remember, y'all remember this one right here? Anybody remember this? I, it was like it was a million, like it looked like money and you would hand it out. And then on the back it had, it wasn't money. It just had like, this is about Jesus. And people that got it were kind of mad at you about that. Because like, ah, it's kind of messed up. Like maybe you think of that, going out, handing out material, media. Um, maybe when you think of evangelism, you think of an overseas, uh, like big tent revival with hundreds of thousands of people and the preacher standing there declaring the truth about Jesus and then people flooding the altars and saying yes and giving their life to Jesus. Maybe um, 
Maybe you think of like a person on the street corner standing on one of those crates, boxes. What is a soapbox? I've never known, like, to be a soapbox. Does anyone know? Anyways, yeah, like they were standing on their soapbox and they've got the megaphone and they're maybe preaching good news about how Jesus loves you and your sins have been forgiven. Or maybe they're preaching really bad news about how you're horrible and you're condemned to the bowels of hell, like really encouraging message for people walking by on 16th Street. Um, Like, I, I say that to say, when I say the word evangelism, what comes to mind is a wide array of expressions of how we've seen that done in our culture over the past number of years, all with the same intention, right, of sharing Jesus with people. That's the idea. That's the goal. But how that has been done has taken many different forms um, over the past number of years. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking if there was some sort of, like, common denominator between all those different methods or forms of evangelism, is there something that they all have in common? What's the lowest common denominator for the like elementary math people is that elementary I don't remember but what's the thing that would that would unite all those that they all have in common and I would suggest to you that the vast majority of how we've seen evangelism done in America especially over the past few decades they all have this thing in common and that would be proclamation I don't (laughs) I still did it on accident this is I don't know why I did this with proclamation this is the can y'all try it it feels good say proclamation didn't it feel good? Didn't you feel powerful? You know what I mean by proclamation? Like it's, it's, it's an outward announcement, a declaration, something that is very forward. You're not being passive. It's you actually sharing something with somebody in an active proclaiming way. I think that's what all of those different forms have in common. And, and hear me, man, I think pro- proclamation is a good thing. It is a very necessary part of sharing our faith with the people in our lives. Um, in Romans chapter number 10, verse 13, Uh, Paul says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Paul's like, hey, there's this great news. Uh, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, but how can they call unless they believe? And how can they believe unless they, like, hear it? And how can they hear it unless someone actually tells them, proclaims something to them, right? Not unless someone prays for them, which we believe in and we're going to do a lot of, but there becomes a point where we have to proclaim something. And we've seen that done very, very heavily in our culture over these past number of years. Um, But I would suggest to you that proclamation, while it's good, it's not the complete picture um, of what evangelism looks like. Think of like a coin. Um, does anyone have a coin by chance, like in person? Remember those? Like those are artifacts, like people that collector's item. Give it up for all the people that have coins in the building. We, we love you so much. I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, um, a coin, a coin has two sides, right? Heads and tails, and, and, and you need both sides. They're, they're inextricably connected. You, you actually can't have one without the other. One necessitates the other. Try to imagine a one-sided coin or a one-sided anything, right? That, that these, these two things go together. And I would suggest that proclamation is one side of the evangelism coin. It's needed. It's necessary. It is good. And I think that Jesus, through his life, uh, through his teachings, through the way that he lived and interacted with people, uh, he shows us the other side of the evangelism coin. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. So to dive into that idea, I want to read you this passage out of John Chapter number 1, starting at verse 35, it says this, The following day, John, this is John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. 
And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. And Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want, he asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him for the rest of the day. So John's gospel begins with John the Baptist. He's in the wilderness. He is preaching. He is declaring. He is proclaiming the word of God that people should repent and turn to God. And he begins to prophesy about this Messiah that would come and that was so far greater than him. And then one day his cousin, Jesus, shows up and he sees him and he's like, look, that's him. That dude, not you, him. That's the dude, that's the Lamb of God who, ta- who takes away the sins of the world. And two of John's disciples who have been following him for, around for a long time, they see that, they unfollow John, and then they start to follow Jesus around. Like, and, and it says that Jesus just sees these two guys walking behind him, and it's at this point where we get to see Jesus' first words that are recorded in the Gospel of John. The very first thing he says, and I love that it doesn't come in the form of a, of, a, of a proclamation, but he simply looks back at these dudes and he's like, what do you guys want? Like, what, are you, what are you doing? It was a simple question that he asked them. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of John were a question, not a proclamation, not a dissertation on what the Lamb of God means and the Old Testament sacrificial system and how he came to be the atonement. Like, he was just like, what do, you guys, what do you guys want? And they're like, where are you staying? I thought they would have asked about the Lamb of God thing, but they, they just wanted to know where he was staying. He's like, all right, well, come to my house. And I find it so fascinating that Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John were, was a question. This should not be surprising. We've talked about this a lot, that Jesus was a master question asker. He was always asking questions again and again and again. Remember when he encountered the lame man that was laying by the pool waiting for the angel to steal, to stir the water. And Jesus says, would you like to get well? Seems like an odd question. Uh, or the blind beggar who is begging and Jesus says, what, what do you want me to, to do for you? Uh, or the rich young ruler who came to him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Uh, When they were uh, getting ready to feed the multitudes, Jesus said, where can we find enough uh, money to to buy bread for all of these people? Question after question. When they asked him, hey, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? He says, hey, give me a coin. Coin, by the way, if you have one, Jesus is with you. Coin, and he's like, hey, whose image is on this coin? And he's always asking question after question after question. This was the way of Jesus. He was a master question asker. And there's a great new book that's out. Uh, by Craig Springer that's called How to Revive Evangelism. And he has this quote in here uh, about Jesus' way of asking questions. When I read this, my mind popped, and and I want that to happen to you as well. So I'm going to read this to you real fast. It says this, The Bible records 307 questions that Jesus asked, along with 183 others asked of him. But do you know how many times Jesus gave a direct answer? Eight Eight times. And some scholars argue that only three of those occasions was the answer he gave completely direct, not like a little sidestep or a story. Like only three times did he maybe even actually directly answer the question. Jesus was 40 times more likely to ask a question than to provide a direct answer, give or take. And this coming from the one and only person who walked the earth who actually knew 
all of the answers. That blows my mind, that Jesus being God in the flesh, the one person who knew everything, that he was 40 times more likely to ask you a question than to give you an answer. For every clear, direct answer that he gave, there were 40 questions on the other side that he had asked. That if you went up to Jesus and asked him a question, he was far more likely to not answer it than he was to give you an answer. He was far more likely to ask you something else and to draw you into some sort of conversation and then walk off. And you're like, what, what just happened? Like, I don't know. What, that, he was 40 times more likely to do that. He was this question asker. What do questions do at their core level? I believe that questions create a context for conversation. Questions are the gateway in to conversation. And I believe that that's the other side of the evangelism coin. Why proclamation is key, while it is important, while it is good and needed, conversation, I would suggest, is the other side of that coin. And those two things, as it relates to us, sharing our faith with people and talking about Jesus with the people in our life, I would suggest we need both of those things. We need proclamation and conversation, and we get to see how those things work together. So what I want to do uh, for, the, for the few minutes that we have left, there's a passage in Luke chapter 24 where I think we can see these two things working together beautifully and see how Jesus moved from conversation to proclamation and what it might mean for us. So I want to read this story to you, uh, and we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13, it says this. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So this is after the resurrection. Jesus has risen from the dead. People are going crazy. They're not understanding what's happening. And these two individuals are walking from Jerusalem back to their hometown. And it says that Jesus like, was just like he, he walked and was just walking with them. And somehow God, I don't know how this works, but kept them from recognizing him, which doesn't make any sense. So in this account that we're about to read, we have Jesus talking about himself with humans, right? Our series is how to talk about Jesus with humans. We get to get a window into Jesus talking about himself with people that don't know it's him. I think we can learn a lot from this passage. So the story goes on. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. And one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. I want to stop there for now. I want you to see where it starts. What's the first thing Jesus does in this encounter with these two people? 40 to 1. This is what he always does. He's like, he walks alongside of them and he asks them a question. He goes, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> so intently as you walk along. Like, what a sophisticated question. I'll just be like, what are y'all talking about, you know? What are you guys talking about? And, and then they say, are you the only one that doesn't understand, like, or know these things that have, ha that, that have happened? And he doesn't just ask him one question, he hits him with a follow-up. He's like, what things? Like he doesn't know. Like he, but he, he always starts with questions. This is what Jesus does again and again and again. He comes alongside people and he opens them up. He disarms them with questions to have a way in. So he asks them these questions. Then it goes on to say, um, the thing, they answer and say, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. 
He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. Jesus is listening to this like, I know, I'm, I'm cold like that. Like, I don't like to talk about it. He's listening to them tell them about himself. But, but our leading priests and the other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened just three days ago. And then some women from our group of his followers read his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the woman had said. Now, it started with questions, and what happened next was subtle, but I want you to see it. It starts with Jesus saying, what are y'all talking about? What's going on? What things? And then what we just read, what happened next, you see they're, they're currently now in a conversation. <laughs> Those questions that Jesus asked led to a conversation, and now these two people are, are telling Jesus all about everything. They're saying, hey, Jesus was here, and then we had hoped that he was going to be the Messiah. We get a window into their hearts and what they're dealing with and what they're thinking about. Uh, they're now having a conversation because that's what questions do. They create the context to begin dialoguing and discussing. We don't know exactly how long this went on, but it was a seven-mile walk. So they're talking, they're dialoguing for quite some time because that's what questions do, right? Questions always lead to some context for conversation. I want to show you what happens next. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Hardcore. You find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Progression, questions, conversations. And I would submit to you that what Jesus is doing now is he's making a proclamation. Can we do that together? Proclamation? There we go. You see, like, he, it didn't just stop with conversation. There came a point where he's like, listen, let me walk you through this. We're going to look at Moses, all the prophets, all the scriptures, and explain all of the things concerning himself, he's beginning to declare who he is and tell them about himself. So we've got questions lead to conversation, and then we see Jesus is making some sort of proclamation here through the scriptures. And then the story ends with this. By the time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going to go on. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open, and it was at that point that they recognized him. Okay, so I just want you to see it again. Questions led to this conversation along the road, led to Jesus making a proclamation, telling them about who he was. And then later on that night sometime, they're sitting down to have dinner. And when Jesus breaks the bread, something in that moment, their hearts open, their eyes are opened, and they have a revelation of who Jesus is. Now, notice the revelation didn't happen anywhere over here. It didn't happen when Jesus was preaching probably one of the best messages ever, going through all the scripture and talking about how it all points to him. I want that podcast. But, like, it didn't even happen then. It happened later over dinner where these people had this revelation of who Jesus was. And then I didn't read it. It says that he like disappeared, which like, <laughs> come on, that makes no sense. But like, see the, see the progression, questions and conversation, proclamation, and it led to a revelation at the end of people understanding and seeing who Jesus was. I would say as a, as a culture, at least in America for the last number of years, much of what we mean when we say evangelism has focused 
primarily, if not solely, on this part of the progression. It's focused primarily on, on we've got truth, we've got answers, we've got meaning to dispense to the people in our lives, so let's proclaim it. Let's find creative ways to tell the story and to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done, and then we want that to lead to an immediate revelation. And again, these things are really, really good and needed, but what I notice is that it, none of that would have happened in this account without questions and without conversation. And as it, be, as it pertains to us sharing our faith, talking about Jesus with the people in our life, I think that questions and conversation and listening and dialogue, that is the foundation, the soil for any future proclamation and revelation that is going to happen in people's lives. And I found myself asking the question, what if we got really good as individuals, really good as a church at this part? What if we got really, really good at asking questions and being curious and listening and having conversation? How much great foundation and soil and groundwork could we lay for what Jesus may want to do over here? But you can't skip steps. We might have to start with questions and conversation. And there was a massive uh, Barna study that was done recently. Um, and as a part of that study, they uh, polled a specific group uh, of non-Christians in America who were, uh, I think it said, spiritually curious, which means like, I'm not a Christian, but like, I'm open, like, let me know. And they asked this group of people, um, what would be the most desirable trait in a Christian that would make you want to have a spiritual conversation with that person? These are people who don't know Jesus, don't claim to, but they asked them, what would be a trait in somebody that you would be like, man, I really would want to talk to that person about matters of faith and spirituality? And do you know what the number one thing that came back was? Um, the number one trait was someone who listens without judgment. It's like, dang. Number two was not forcing them to make a, um, a judgment or a come to a conclusion really quickly. Those were the top two traits that people in, who live right around here are saying that they would want in a person to have a conversation about faith, that someone who just listens without judging them. Do you know that they also asked them as a follow-up, the two um, traits that would be the least attractive in a Christian that would make them want to have a conversation. Uh, the, least attract, the, mo the least attractive trait was a Christian who has all the answers. <laughs> I'm like, dang, I wasted all that time on YouTube, you know, like trying to get my apologetics down and know how to respond to what you're going to say. They're like, no, that's actually, I don't want that at all. Uh, the other one uh, that they mentioned in the study was someone who's quick to point out inconsistencies and flaws and holes in other people's beliefs. You know that person, like you say what you believe and they're like, ah, oh, well, that doesn't make sense because without objective morality, there is no, e like all that whole thing that we do. They're like, no, nah, miss me with that. I'm good. Those are the two things that they're like, we're not interested in. I I know I've been guilty of that in my own life, of putting so much emphasis on this half of the equation and began, being able to tell people the right answer before they've even asked me anything. And to point out why they might be wrong, it's like, no, that's not what people are wanting. What if we became really good at this half? And we played that word association game earlier. Um, and I just found myself asking the question, man, like what would it look like if you just asked a bunch of non-Christians, can you imagine if you asked them, 
Hey, what comes to mind when you think of, the, of, of a Christian person? What if everyone said, oh yeah, those are those people who, who always ask a lot of questions and aren't really proclaiming a lot of things. And for like every one thing they say, they ask and they listen and they don't judge. Like, what if that was the, the top result in the Google search bar of their soul? When you ask, like you put Christian, they're like, oh yeah, those are those people that are really nice and they like to talk and have conversations and they're not judgmental or heavy handed. What, how much more good could we do in the name of Jesus in our city and invite people to the table if that's how we were known? as people who were obsessed with asking questions and creating context for, for conversations and not rushing people to conclusions and trying to get them over here, but just allowing them to be where they are and trusting that God's gonna come alongside and do what only God can do to open their eyes and their heart. The book that I referenced earlier, um, How to Revive Evangelism uh, by Craig Springer, we're gonna reference this a lot throughout this series. Um, but Craig is actually the, the president uh, of Alpha in the United States. And if, you don't, or if you're not familiar with Alpha, um, it's an organization, a ministry that is all about this, <laughs> all about creating space for people who are exploring faith and to ask questions and to have conversation in a non-judgmental uh, uh, zone that's safe and, and just going on a journey with people. Um, and in his book, he gave a, a bunch of points on what we could do as Jesus followers become better at this part uh, of question askers and listeners and conversationalists. Um, so I'm just stealing a few of his points right now because they were really good. But I think this would be really good application for us to think about as we explore this idea. So here's, here's how we could become better at having conversations with people about faith. Number one, become curious. What, what, how much more could we do in the name of Jesus? We were just curious about people. If we ask more questions about the people in our life, what if we just wanted to know more about them? Hey, where'd you grow up? How do you see the world? Why do you see it that way? And when, they when they're talking, just, just listen and try to understand. And you're not trying to figure out a, re a rebuttal or a rebuke, but you're just curious about the people in our lives. If we become curious people, I think we'll become really good at telling people about Jesus. The second thing that he said, I love this one, is ask until asked and then ask some more. I'm gonna make sure I said that right, yeah. Say that 10 times fast. <laughs> ask until asked, and then ask some more. Here's what I mean by that. I, for me, this is just me, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but for me, there's not many things worse than an unsolicited proclamation. You know, like if someone's giving you answers that you didn't ask for, I'm like, I'm, I'm kinda done with it. Like I, I take it to the extreme. Like you could, not, like if someone knocks on my door, I'm already kind of mad right away. You know what I mean? Like, see, who is that? Who would do that? You know, who would do such a thing? Come to my house. And then like, you could, I could open the door and they're like, hey, we've got a, a stack full of cash in the, in the back. All you gotta do is sign this form, it takes three minutes. I'm like, no, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna do that. Sorry, get out of here. Like I just, if I didn't ask you, I'm kind of shut off. And I think what we're getting at here is ask questions about them until they ask about you. And when they ask about you, answer them. If they ask you like, hey, what, how do you see the world? Are you a person of faith? Then, then answer them. But here's the other thing is throw it back at them. Ask until asked and then ask them some more. Let's be like Jesus. Let's go 40 to 1. So if they ask you about your faith, you say, hey, I, I believe in Jesus and he's changed my life. And I mean, what do you think about that? How, do you, how does that set with you? And you throw it back on them because that's what great conversationalists do. They ask questions and keep the conversation going. And here's the third thing that I want to leave us with. Uh, is affirm. 
affirmed. In a culture like ours, there are people who believe so many different things. And sometimes as Christians, I know I can be like this, we can be quick to like poke holes in how people see stuff. What if we got really good at just affirming something about what they believe? Even if you don't agree with it. If you can say, man, I just see how much you care for the poor in our city. I think that that's an amazing thing. And when you practice affirming and seeing the good that God is already doing in people, you'll get better at it. You'll see that there's so much that God's already doing that you can affirm and affirmation keeps the conversation going. I wonder if we did these three things, how much more God could do through us in our city as, it, as we take on this mission to talk about Jesus with the people in our lives. And one of the things I'm really thrilled about is starting next month, uh, we are launching Alpha here at Denver United. And uh, if you are not familiar with Alpha, I talked about it a little bit a second ago, but it is all over the world. It is like an 11-week course, and each one of those weeks is sort of based around one question of faith uh, or spirituality. And the whole goal of these spaces is not proclamation and revelation. Like, if it happens, all good, but all this space is for is to create space for people who are exploring to come in and ask questions, to be honest about where they are in their journey, and the leaders are even trained to not answer their questions. To just say, well, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And to keep it going. And man, what God has done through this initiative, through this ministry, through this organization, Alpha, all over the world is amazing. And I, I'm so thrilled for what God is going to do as we start this initiative here at Denver United. All the people that God's going to invite to the table through Alpha. So I would, I would challenge you um, to begin to pray, who are some people in my life that don't know Jesus? Who are some humans that I know? That, that I want to see come into a relationship with God and begin to pray about that. And, and next month, that's going to be a space where you can invite people to and sit with them and, and go with them on their journey of exploring who Jesus is. Amen? Hey, let's stand to our feet. We're going to get ready to go. Um, but I just want to pray over us before we continue in worship this morning. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for saving us and inviting us to your table. God, we don't take any credit for that. We know it's, it's all your grace and all your love for us. And God, we're privileged to be a part of your family. And as a part of that, we know that you have called us to share what you've done in our lives with the people around us. So Lord, I, I pray for the people in this room right now, the people watching online that may have been burned by this idea of evangelism in the past. They've seen it done in so many damaging ways that maybe they even feel it's wrong to share their faith with somebody. Lord, I pray for healing in those areas um, where we've seen it done wrong. And Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, boldness by your Holy Spirit to, to partner with you on your mission to reach people in our, in our city and in our lives. God, would you equip us to be more like you, to be better listeners and question askers and asking, um, um, getting to where people are in their hearts and having conversations. God, we want to be more like you in that way. And God, we believe that you love the people in our lives more than we do, that you've been working on them longer than we have known them. And God, we want to be a part of what you're doing and inviting them into your family. So Lord, use us in this way. And we can't wait to see what you're going to do in our lives and in our city as we partner with you on this mission. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. 
For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com.